0: Welcome to the Word Bible Study with Pastor Dan. Yeah, and I'm excited for everyone who decided to have a Bible study with me today. Why don't we start this all off with some prayer? I think all of us need to repent after that, because everybody has to just practice violence and smacking people in the face. So, so let's let's say a prayer and then we will get into the lesson. Dear Lord Jesus, touch our hearts and minds today, God. Forgive us for abusing the people that we love around us. We thank you for having a good time with us and putting your presence in this room, Lord. May we learn and grow with you tonight. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well. Got, we got tore up wrapper wrapped around, this is, a, this is a good service. So, I thought I would talk to you guys a little bit about some fundamentals. Since I am new up here, I figured we should touch on some basic principles. So tonight we're going to be talking about repentance. How many people know, think they have a good idea of what repentance is? couple, all right, okay, good. We're gonna work on it, we're gonna work on it. And I'm gonna start with a little story. When I was a kid, I was the best kid ever. I was a complete angel. I never paid. never did anything ever wrong. No, I'm just kidding, I was, I was a little bit of a handful. And now I've got a couple handfuls at home paying me back for all of it. But I always did have a good heart. I did, I did care about people and love people. And so when I was a kid, I decided that I wanted to do something really nice for my parents. So I stole them Christmas presents. I was a kid. I was like, I was like 10. And I was just like, I, I wanted to get my mom and dad Christmas presents. So I seen something really nice in the store, so I stole it. And then I told them I got money. It, it was bad. So I got caught, right? And then my mom, like... I actually, like, I ratted on my brother, and then he told on me, and was like, well, he stole your guys' Christmas presents. And my mom was like, what? So my mom made me take the stuff that I stole back to the store, and tell them that I stole it, and give it back to them, which, at 10, terrified the crap out of me. I had to go in there and be like, yeah, I stole this, I'm a thief, and it was at, like, a Myers gas station, so I was like, they were like, you're not, you're not allowed to come back and steal again. So yeah, it was, it was a very uh, traumatic situation. And then afterwards, I decided that maybe I shouldn't be a thief. There's other things I could be in life, and thief was not one of them. So I decided that I, I wouldn't steal anymore. And, I, and I've done well for that the rest of my life now because I had that experience, and I had to face the music, and I had to do all that. Where in this story do we see repentance? I started thinking about that today, and I'm like, where in that story <clears throat> do we find repentance? Anybody want to guess? What did you say? Yeah. I just said it randomly, right but... Uh, what? The stealing well, part was repentance? Well, you get caught for it, I don't know. Getting caught for is it is repentance? I'm glad. These are the questions I was hoping to see. When you went back and told them that you stole and- When I went back and told them? So was it when I got caught stealing that was repentance? Was it when I went back and brought back the stuff? What were you gonna say? That it was when you put it back. When I put it back. That's a good. That's a good guess. What? When you decided you want, didn't want to steal anymore. Ah, somebody knows about repentance. So when I got caught, that's not technically repentance, though, right? If you do something wrong and all of a sudden you get a feeling inside like what I did is wrong, that's not what true repentance is. That's conviction. Or condemnation if you go the wrong way with it. But that's letting you know that you've done something wrong. When I took it back, technically wasn't repentance either. It was penance. It was me paying for what I had done and trying to right the wrong. But it wasn't technically repentance. So let's go to the Word of God and see what God says about repentance. Matthew 4 and 17 says, From then on, Jesus began to preach repentance. Repent from your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. So we clearly see in the Bible that repentance is a big deal. It's like the first thing Jesus taught before he went out and told people how to do things better. He taught about repentance before he talked about being meek and humble. He talked about repentance before he started baptizing people and picking disciples and apostles and dying for your sins and dumping out the Holy Ghost And starting the church, which is his body. Before he did all of that, the first thing he did was teach repentance. Because repentance is the first step towards God. And we know in the Bible, David was a man after God's own heart. And one of the reasons why I believe that David was a man after God's own heart is because David understood repentance. Unlike a lot of people did. We all know David did some bad things, right? But you guys know the story of David, right? Did some terrible things. Took another man's wife, killed the man. Did some crazy stuff like that. And there was a consequence because of what he did. Does anybody remember that? The consequence for when, it, when, when the whole Bathsheba thing went down, Nathaniel the prophet came in, pointed his finger in his face and said, You're the man. So David immediately started to repent and pray to God. And the priest told him, Your son's going to die because of what you did. So David fasted and prayed for his son, and he wanted to try and make repentance for what had happened. But in the end, his son died. And then David got up and put his clothes on, went back to work. And everybody was like, wow, I can't believe you're taking it this way when you were about to freak out when you thought your kid was going to die. And he was like, I understand that I can't bring my son back to life, but I'll go to him one day. And he understood that that was a consequence of his actions. But he also still understood repentance because he repented to God and then he moved on with, his, with what he was doing for God. He moved on in the kingdom. He, he still became a great king. He still set the nation up to, to worship God the way he deserved to be worshipped. So we see that David made flaws, but then he accounted for his flaws, but then he also picked himself up and moved on after those flaws. He didn't live in that state of dirtiness and, oh my God, I'm not good enough. <laughs> And then he pins us an amazing psalm where he really shows the heart of repentance. So we're going to take a look at that in Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stains of my sins. So he starts off by acknowledging that repentance is an act of mercy upon God. Not only the forgiveness of sins, but the fact that God puts it in your heart to acknowledge that something's wrong, the fact that God puts it in your heart to want to turn from that, and it is God who changes our life. So it comes through the mercy of God because of His unfailing love. Purify me from my sins, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone, Have I sinned? I have done what is evil. Uh oh, let's get this in order. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proven right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Well give me back my joy again. Now you guys are younger, and you guys have been part of this body in the church, and honestly, the more I'm getting to know you guys, the more I realize that you guys are some good kids. Like when I was a teenager, your guys' age. We don't want to talk about it. It's under the blood. (laughs) Thank God it's under the blood. But we find ourselves in life, if you ever know somebody who's gone down the wrong path in their life, they find themselves in this situation where they have no joy and everything in their life's not working out. I've been teaching a lot lately on blessings and curses. Deuteronomy 28. If you obey my word, these are the blessings I will pour out in your life. If you don't obey my word, these are the curses that I will dump out in your life. And for a long time, I really liked to focus on the blessings because that's the cool part. Like I get, God's going to take care of me. He's going to take care of my families. He's going to take care of my pets. I'm never going to be hungry. But the last time I taught on that, I really looked at the curses side of it. And the more I read through the curses, the more I realized that I see this in my friends' lives who don't know God and don't serve God. The turmoil, the fighting, the the wife who doesn't care about her kids and doesn't care about her husband, the husband who doesn't care about his family, and he cares about only himself, and he's to please himself only. And you, you see how these are curses throughout the Bible. And this is what he's talking about here where he says that He's broken and that his joy is gone. But, now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins, but remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and make me willing to obey you. That is a beautiful prayer. That is what repentance is really all about. It's not really just simply saying I'm sorry. It's not just confessing. But it is making a determination in your mind that I'm not going to live the way the world lives. I'm going to live the way pleases God. I'm going to be an image bearer of Christ. I'm going to be something that represents God's love on this earth. Forgive me for shedding blood. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Then I will teach your ways to rebels, and they will return to you. There's your biggest goal for living a repented life and living a life that honors God is to teach other people how to turn their ways and how they can live for God as well. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, and my mouth may praise you. You do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. And this is when they were offering burnt offerings. So this is David writing this, that you didn't want a sacrifice and you didn't want an offering. But then after this, he goes and he makes an offering. Because it wasn't really about the offering. You did the offering to represent how you felt in the inside. But people were going there and just offering stuff and not even caring. And they they didn't have a change inside. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart. Oh God. Look with favor on Zion and help her. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with sacrifice and offerings in the right spirit. With burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will again be sacrificed on your altar. So this whole poem, psalm, that David wrote gives us an example and a representation of Repentance. Not simply just saying I'm sorry. Not simply getting caught doing something wrong. But having it in your heart to change the way you live. Acknowledging what is right and wrong in your life. We know that if we turn in our Bible to Jeremiah 31 and 33, he says a different time is coming. A new covenant. No longer like the old one where I'm going to write it in stone and on tablets. But now... I'm going to write my laws in your heart. You'll know me. I'll be your God, and you will be my people. So we have God's laws written in our hearts today. We know when something is right or something is wrong. That burrito smacking game was wrong. <laughs> I didn't need to written down in the commandment. That was crazy, guys. <laughs> but it's up to me to make the decision in my life to turn from those things that I feel are wrong and make a dedication to God so let's go to Luke 3 you can read it behind me you guys don't have to go to anything isn't that nice then John went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven and who is this guy anybody know who this guy is John going around baptizing people? John the Baptist. Anybody know what Jesus said about John the Baptist? Who? What? That he was like, he kind of had Elijah's spirit. Yes. The Bible does say he had the spirit of Elijah on him. We were actually, we might get to that here. But he talked about how he he was sent to make way for the Messiah. But what did Jesus specifically say about John the Baptist? Yeah. Wait, no, but that was what John I what John the Baptist said about himself. Yeah, but Jesus said something very specific about him. Jesus said that there were none greater than John the Baptist. He said John the Baptist was the greatest man that had walked the face of the earth at that time. Jesus said that for a very big reason. John the Baptist made the way. Whoa, for Jesus. The Bible says that he had the spirit of Elijah on him and that he was ready in the path for the coming Messiah. But the first thing that John the Baptist did was go out and teach repentance. Not only repentance, but get baptized so that you can show that you live a repented life. But he taught them baptism. It, it, It was getting right there. You, you read my notes right before I got to him. Isaiah had spoken of John when he said he is the voice shouting in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. The valleys will be filled. The mountains and hills will be level. The curves will be straightened and the rough places made smooth. And then all the people will see the salvation sent from God. What did John the Baptist do, guys? He wasn't a construction worker. I don't remember him out there actually changing the roads. But what did he do? He sat in the wilderness, remember? Yeah. What, what, what did he do? Oh, he always put God first, and he paved the way for the Lord. So well. Right. He showed everybody. He showed all of the people who were following him that Jesus is the Messiah, and Very to follow well. him. Very good. I'm gonna have you come up here and teach in a second. <laughs> no, that, he's he's right on. That's what he did, and all he did was sit in the wilderness in camel's hair and eat locusts and honey. He didn't do anything spectacular. He didn't. He wasn't in the palace. He wasn't preaching crazy. He he was in the wilderness, but he was a praying man. I, I, I feel like we see in the scriptures that, that John is a spiritual man. So he was in the wilderness doing things in the spiritual realm that would allow Christ to bring his ministry into the world. He was a praying man. He was a seeking man. But he, his main goal was to teach people that throughout this spiritual journey, what he learned That was most important was repentance. So he says here, where am I at? When the crowds came to John the Baptist, he said, You brood of snakes, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Prove by the way that you live that you have repented from your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we are safe because we are the descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the tree. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. I think this is amazing how when we look at the correlation of this and what they talk about in Hebrews and they talk about us being grafted into the tree and how if God could cut out the Jews and graft us in how much easier it would be for him to graft back in the Jews it, it, it's all tied up with this message because they understood what John the Baptist was teaching and they understood that these people there was an acts about the fall God did chop. Israel. He did graft in other nations. He allowed us, Gentiles, to taste salvation because the Jews weren't taking it seriously. And he tells them that right here. You say we are safe for we are descendants of Abraham. And being a descendant of Abraham was a safe thing. They were, Abraham was God's chosen people. In the Tower of Babylon, it says that God turned over all the other nations. But he chose Abraham as his chosen people. So being a descendant of Abraham was a powerful thing at that time. It's similar to being a member of the church today. You could be a child of Abraham and still not live a repented life and still not understand repentance the right way. I teach Bible studies to a lot of people who are a lot older than me. <laughs> this is nice, actually, teaching people that are on my level. <laughs> but I've teach i I've been teaching to my mom and my aunts and people that were raised in church and have been in church way longer than I have been. And I still teach them things like this and they go, wow, I've never looked at it that way. Because you can still be a child of Abraham and not really understand repentance. You can be a child of Pineview. You can be raised in church and live in church your whole life and still not really have the heart of repentance. Thank you for that. So he says, Every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. When we live a repented life, we should see good fruit in our life. The fruit of the Spirit should be growing in our life. We should be loving. We should be kind. We should be long-suffering. We should find this fruit growing in our life naturally because our heart is in the right place. Our heart is turned towards God. It's not looking for my own self-gain. It's not caring about the things in this world. But it is kingdom-minded. And the crowds ask, what should we do? So here we go. They've gotten to a point now that they understand, okay, maybe this repentance thing is a little bit important. So if it's important, what do we do to have a repentant heart? And now at this stage, we're all probably thinking the same thing. All right, I understand now, Dan, I, I get this repentance. I know it's not just saying I'm sorry. I know it's making, but how do we actually put that into practice? How do I live and repent and like, life? Please speak. Uh, like Turn back to God and how He wants you to live. Like right. Live with him? Very good. Very good. Let's see if that lines up exactly with what John says. Because John replies, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. Even corrupt tax collectors can be bat- came in to be baptized and asked, Teacher, what should we do? And he replied, collect no more taxes than the government requires. What should we do? Some soldiers asked. Don't extort money and make false accusations, but be content with your pay. So here he's, immediately he says exactly what you're saying. He's like, okay, if we want to live a repentant life, start showing it in your actions. You can't just have a repentant heart in my life, but I'm still going to do everything that I did before. And I'm just going to keep confessing to God that I'm sorry. Or I'm going to keep telling him that I understand that that's a sin while I continue to live in it. That's what the children of Abraham were doing. They were making their sacrifices. They were bringing them to the altar. They were the chosen people that was part of their will. But their lifestyles were not changing. Because in their hearts... They didn't repent. If I think it's okay to smack my wife in the face with a burrito, I'm probably going to do that several times a day. There's no reason for me not to. I haven't acknowledged that it's wrong, and I don't even understand that it's a bad thing. Half of our job as a parent is getting my kids to understand that these things are wrong. (laughs) I spend so much of my time telling them, guys. Not listening to your mom is wrong. I didn't do anything wrong, Dad. Yeah, you did. Because you didn't listen when I told you to do this. That's wrong. Once I can get them to acknowledge in their mind that what they're doing is wrong, with God's help, naturally they'll start to exhibit that on the outside they'll start to live lives where they stay away from the things that they acknowledge in their head is wrong and they stick to the things that they know is right. So that's what John's telling them here is like let's not just believe it inside but let's change our hearts to be repentant so that our actions start to change. Everyone was expecting the Messiah to come soon and they were eager to know whether John might be the Messiah. So think about that. John's just simply teaching about repentance. But his message is so powerful that people don't really know for sure if he's not the Messiah. He's not, you know, he, he's not filling people with the Holy Ghost. He's not raising the, the dead. He's not healing the sick and opening blind eyes. He's not doing any of that. He's simply telling people how to fix their lives. But through this message of repentance, it's changing so many people's lives that they start wondering, is this guy the Messiah? And it's the same in your guys' life today. If you guys start teaching the message of repentance to your friends around you, Hey, buddy, don't take that if I'm in the store with you because that's wrong. You're actually showing them the same thing that John the Baptist was showing these people. And after a while, they start to see the Messiah in you. They start turning towards Christ because they see that light shining from you. All because of a message of repentance. I'm I'm all about loving people. I'm all about accepting people. I don't kick people out for anything. I've had people in my life that were open Satanists and I still love and accept them. Hey, God loves you. I gotta love you too. But at the same time, that does not mean that I can't teach a message of repentance. Not even to the point where I'm stopping them, but my life is an example. There's several times where people would do things are like, hey, I'm not doing that. I'm not going that route because I've got a heart. Repentance and I'm going to focus on making my Lord and Savior happy. But through that example, people will see the Messiah in you. So, John answered their question by saying, I baptize you with water, but someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I am not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. And he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. John used many such warnings as he announced the good news to the people. John also publicly criticized Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee, who married Herodias, his brother's wife. And for many other wrongs he had done. So here he is standing before a king and his friend. Someone who looked up to him and someone that loved him. In the beginning, Herod actually looked up to John the Baptist. He, he wanted to hear his message. He wanted to, to understand about God. And even though he was a king and he had the right to put him to death, John the Baptist still was like, look, it is wrong that you took your brother's wife and made her your own. I know you're a king, and I know you can kill me, and I know that you have that power, but I have to speak a message of repentance in your life. So Herod put John in prison, adding this sin to his many others. If you know the story, John the Baptist gets beheaded in prison. And right before that, he sends Jesus a message saying, are you really the Messiah? Because he found himself in a place where God used him to change a nation. And even though it was at his own expense and he paid the price and he had to get his head cut off for all this, it changed and opened the way for Christ's ministry. And later we see Jesus in the same faith. We see Jesus paying the price for everybody else and giving his life for the ministry. And it doesn't make sense to some of us. Jesus understood. He was like, now my will, that will be done. I get it. Me and my father are one. I understand all this. But John was a man like us. He was a normal human being like us who didn't get it. Who was like, God, I'm going to die after all this? But that's why Jesus said he's the greatest in the kingdom. He's like, you guys don't understand. John the Baptist, man, that's, that's a good guy. He's out in the wilderness doing my work. And then later on, <clears throat> Mark 1:14 tells us, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news repentance gets a little little deep when when we get into it thinking about it and knowing that we've done wrong and turning from wrong but God taught the good news and from repentance comes the good news Through our acts of repentance, we are are ushered into God's presence. We become one with God. He washes us clean. He makes us his own. He changes us because we've made that turn towards him. About that time, Jesus was informed that Pilate had murdered some people from Galilee, and they were offering sacrifices at the temple. This is Luke 13. Do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other people from Galilee, Jesus asked? Is that why they suffered? Did they suffer because they were worse than everybody else? They're all bad over there. They're all Galileans. Not at all. You will perish too unless you repent from your sins and turn to God. And what about the 18 people who died when the Tower of Salem fell on them? Were they worse sinners? Were there worse sinners in Jerusalem? Were they the worst sinners in Jerusalem? Let me get my reading in order first. No, I tell you again that unless you repent, you will perish too. So it's not the fact that somebody was worse than than we are. It's not the fact that other people are bad and we're good. It has nothing to do with that, but it had to do with repentance. We're all bad. We're all equal. We're all the same that were born into sin. But the acts of repentance are what set some people apart from destruction. And it's what allowed some people to walk right into destruction because they didn't practice repentance in their life. No, I tell you again that unless you repent, you will perish too. Then Jesus told them a story about a man who planted planted a fig tree in the garden and came again and again to see if there were any fruit on it. But he was disappointed. So here's Jesus. He's like, I'm going to tell you a story about repentance here. <clears throat> A man planted a fig tree in the garden, and there was no fruit on it, and he was disappointed. And finally, he said to his gardener, I've waited three years, and there hasn't been a single fig. Cut it down. It's just taking up space in the garden. And the gardener answered, Sir, give it one more chance. Leave it another year, and I will give it special attention and plenty of fertilizer. If we get figs next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. This is the story that Jesus gives them to represent repentance. Jesus can be a little hard to understand sometimes. We're, we're supposed to be talking about repentance, which is me making a decision in my head to turn. But all he gives them here is a story about a gardener and a fig tree that don't produce fruit. And we know that his story echoes the story that John the Baptist just taught about bearing fruit. And if you don't bear fruit, you'll be chopped down and no longer part of the kingdom. So we see this correlation here. But how does this story make sense when it comes to repentance? We see the one side of repentance where it is up to me to acknowledge sin and in my heart to turn away from it. And then I want, But I want to see the effects of that in my life. I want to see the fruit of that in my life. But according to this story, the fig tree had nothing to do with that. So we know John the Baptist taught that it is our job to repent. That we should repent. We should acknowledge what sin is. And we, we hear from David's psalm that repentance happens in our heart. It's turning away in our heart. But we know that it should bear fruit in our life. And here Jesus tells us the story of it. And he says, it's not bearing fruit. We're going to cut it down. But then the gardener comes and says, give me a minute. Let me work on the fruit side. Let me work on making his life better. This tree's made the decision to change his life. This tree's made the right call, and he understands what life is, but the tree can't just grow itself, and the tree can't just produce fruit itself. The tree still needs the gardener. So we can make the decision to live a repentant life, but we can't truly experience repentance without a gardener. I thought this was really cool in the Bible, I noticed this, but John 20 Verse 15, the, the women are coming to the tomb to see Jesus' body after he just died. He just shed his blood so he covered all of our sins so we could really live a life of repentance because we haven't been able to do that up until now. We've only rolled our sin forward. But now he paid everything and they're going to his tomb to find them. And she turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked. Who are you looking for? She's crying. She, she knows that things aren't right. That her Savior's gone. She's looking for the answer. Even though she's in the right place. She's made the right decisions. She's turned. She's got it in her heart. But she's still looking for somebody. <clears throat> she thought that Jesus was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go and get him. And Mary, Jesus said, she turned to him and cried out, "Rabona." which in Hebrew means teacher. She turns around and she sees and she thinks he's the gardener. We're going to wrap this up today. But I want you guys to realize that Jesus is still the gardener. It's our job to make a decision in our heart, to acknowledge what is wrong in our lives and to try and make our lives for the better. But we can't leave out the gardener. Jesus is the one who's going to produce fruit in our lives. Jesus is the one who's going to help us make these right decisions in our lives. Because even though I may acknowledge that something is sin, and I know in my heart that I don't want to do it, it's just like Romans 6 when Paul wrote about, even though I don't want to do what is wrong, I do it anyways. When I see that something's wrong and I try to do what's right, I do bad instead. And we find ourselves in that position today. God calls us to have a repentant heart, to live a lifestyle that that shows that we're repentant. But we need the gardener in order for that to happen. I need God to come alongside of me and help me make the right decisions. I can have the right heart, but I need His help as well. So repentance is definitely the act of never sinning again from the beginning of that story. It wasn't the conviction of being known. It wasn't the conversation by me trying to bring it back and make that situation right. But it was the act of never sinning again. And I did that through two different ways. I did it from one, acknowledging it in my heart, acknowledging that it's sin and I don't want to live that life. But it also required a lot of help from Jesus. It took me relying on him to help me not to sin again. It wasn't all my responsibility to never steal again. I needed help. I needed that gardener beside me. So as we go forward, let's keep this in our minds. Repentance starts on the inside, but it ends with the help from Jesus. Let's stand, and we'll pray, and then we will get out of here today. Any questions? Did that help anybody? Yeah? Yeah? Good? All right, let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, touch our hearts and minds today, God. Allow us to have a heart of repentance for you, God. help us to live the life that we need to live, God. And may we always remember, God, that you're the true gardener that we need in our life. We can't grow without your help, God. We don't want to be cut down and replaced, God. But we want to thrive in your kingdom full of fruit, God. Prosperous for your kingdom. We worship you today, God. We praise you for this time in your presence. And in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And I, I repent and I will never play that game again. Wow, well, we will do better. We'll get-